Welcome back to Books of Bedtime. My name is Tyler, and today we are continuing on with The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. All right. How's everybody been? It's been really, really warm lately, hasn't it? Thankfully, it's looking to cool down a little. And uh, <sighs> sad news today. Today is the day that the Queen died in England. God bless the Queen. And God save her. It's a sad day over there. Um, you have my condolences. If, uh, if you're over there in England, or well, Great Britain. Ah, uh, well. I suppose it is the turning of a new age. All right. Chapter 54. A place to burn. You look different today, Simmon observed. Willem grunted in agreement. I feel different, I admitted. Good, but different. The three of us were kicking up dust on the road to Imre. The day was warm and sunny, and we were in no particular hurry. You look calm, Simon continued, brushing his hand through his hair. I wish I felt as calm as you look. I wish I felt as calm as I looked, I mumbled. Simon refused to give up. You look more solid, he grimaced. No, you look tight. Tight? Tension forced laughter out of me, leaving me more relaxed. How can someone look tight? Just tight, he shrugged, like a coiled spring. It's the way he's holding himself, Willem said, breaking his usual thoughtful silence. Standing straight, neck unbent, shoulders back. He gestured vaguely to illustrate his points. When he steps, his whole foot treads the ground, not just the ball as if he would run, or the heel as if he would hesitate. He steps solidly down, claiming the piece of ground for his own. <laughs> I felt a momentary awkwardness as I tried to watch myself. Always a futile thing to attempt. Simon gave him a sideways look. Someone's been spending time with Puppet, haven't they? Willem shrugged a vague agreement and threw a stone into the trees by the side of the road. Who is this puppet you two keep mentioning, I asked, partly to draw the attention away from myself. I'm about to die of terminal curiosity, you know. If anyone could, it would be you, Willem said. He spends most of his time in the archives, Sim said hesitantly, knowing that he was touching on a sore subject. It would be hard to introduce you, since, you know. We came to Stonebridge with, sorry, no, uh, we came to Stonebridge, the ancient arch of grey stone that spanned the Omethi River between the university and Imre. Over two hundred feet from one bank to another, and arching more than sixty feet at its peak, Stonebridge had more stories and legends surrounding it than any other university landmark. Spit for luck, Willem urged as we began to climb one side and followed his own advice. Simmon followed suit, spitting over the side 
with a childlike exuberance. I almost said, Luck has nothing to do with it, Master Arwell's words repeated sternly a thousand times in the Medica. I tasted them on the tip of my tongue for a minute, hesitated, then spat instead. The Aeolian lay at the heart of Imre, its front doors facing out onto the city's central cobblestone courtyard. There were benches, a few flowering trees, and a marble fountain misting water over a statue of a satyr, chasing a group of half-clothed nymphs, whose attempt at flight seemed token at best. Well-dressed people milled around, nearly a third carrying some sort of musical instrument or another. I counted at least seven lutes. As we approached the Aeolian, the doorman tugged at the front of a wide-brimmed hat and made a nodding bow. He was at least six and a half feet tall, deeply tanned and muscular. That will be one jot, young master. He smiled as Willem handed over a coin. He turned to me next with the same sunny smile. Looking at the loot case I carried, he cocked an eyebrow at me. Good to see a new face. You know the rules? I nodded and handed him a jot. He turned to point inside. You see the bar? It was hard to miss fifty feet of winding mahogany that curved through the far end of the room. See where the far end turns toward the stage? I nodded. See him on the stool? If you decide to try for your pipes, he's the one you want to talk to. Name's Stanchion. We both turned away from the room at the same time. I shrugged my lute higher onto my shoulder. Thank you. I paused, not knowing his name. Diok. He smiled again in his relaxed way. A sudden impulse seized me, and I held out my hand. Diok means to drink. Will you let me buy you one later? Sorry. <clears throat> Will you let me buy you one later? I should enunciate my T's. I'm, I'm from Utah, and so we don't often say our T's here. They're mountains, and it's a, it's a pitcher of water, and a, and a, yeah, no, it's a, we don't say our, our T's very often, and I'm trying to, uh, get over that little, uh, speech quirk. All right, anyway, <clears throat> where was I? He looked at me for a long second before he laughed. It was an unrestrained, happy sound that came leaping straight from his chest. He shook my hand warmly. I just might at that. Deok released my hand, looking behind me. Simon, did you bring us this one? He brought me, actually. Simon seemed put out by my brief exchange with the doorman, but I couldn't guess why. I don't think anyone can really take him anywhere. He handed a jot to Deok. I'll believe that. Diok said. There's something about him I like. He's a little fey around the edges. I hope he plays for us tonight. I hope so, too, I said, as we and we moved inside. I looked around the Aeolian as casually as I could manage. A raised circular stage thrust out from the wall opposite the curving mahogany bar. Several spiraling stairways led to a second level that was much like a balcony. A smaller third level was visible above that, more like a high mezzanine circling the room. Stools and chairs ringed tables throughout the room. 
benches were recessed into niches in the walls sympathy lamps were mixed with candles giving the room a natural light without fouling the air with smoke well that was cleverly done simmons voice was brittle merciful tailu warn me before you try any more stunts will you what i asked the thing with the doorman simmon you are jittery as a teenage whore he was friendly i liked him what's the harm in offering him a drink deok owns this place simmons said sharply and he absolutely hate it, hates it when musicians suck up to him two span ago he threw someone out of here for trying to tip him he gave me a long look actually threw him almost far enough to make it into the fountain oh i said properly taken aback i snuck a look at deok as he ba um, bantered with someone at the door i saw the thick muscles in his arm tense and relax as he made a gesture outside did he seem upset to you i asked no he didn't that's the damnedest thing willem approached us. yeah holy wow <laughs> both playing with fire there doesn't even know it okay yeah let's see um willem approached us if the two of you will stop fishwiving and come to table i will buy the first drinks lin or let's see wait is that an i or an l I think that's an L. Clin? Probably like a okay. It's a, another language. It's uh, in italics. Uh, we made our way to the table. Willem had picked out, not too far from where Stanchion sat at the, at the bar. What do you want to drink? Willem asked as Simon and I sat down, and I settled my loot case into the fourth chair. Cinnamon mead, Simon said, without stopping to think. Girl... Willem said in a vaguely accusatory way and turned to me. Cider, I said, soft cider. Two girls, he said, and walked off to the bar. I nodded towards Stanchion. What about him? I asked Simon. I thought he owned the place. They both do. Stanchion handles the music end of it. Is there anything I should know about him? I asked, my near catastrophe with Deok having sharpened my anxiety. Simmons shook his head. I hear he's cheerful enough in his own right, but I've never talked with him. Don't do anything stupid and everything should be fine. Thanks, I said sarcastically as I pushed my chair back from the table and stood. Stanchion had a medium build and was handsomely dressed in deep green and black. He had a round bearded face and a slight paunch that was probably only noticeable because he was sitting. He smiled and motioned me forward with the hand that wasn't holding an impressively tall tankard. Ho there, he said cheerily. You have the hopeful sorry, the hopeful look about you. Are you here to play for us tonight? He raised a speculative eyebrow. Now that I was closer, I noticed that Stanchion's hair was a deep, bashful red that hid if the light struck him the wrong way. I hope to, sir, I said, though I was planning to wait for a while. Oh, certainly. We never let anyone try their talent until the sun is down. He paused to take a drink, and as he turned his head, he saw... Oh, I saw a golden set of pipes hanging from his ear. Sighing, he wiped his mouth happily across the back of his sleeve. What do you play, then? Lute? I nodded. Have any idea... W 
have any idea what you'll use to woo us? That depends, sir. Has anyone played the lay of Sir Savian Treliard lately? Stanchion raised an eyebrow and cleared his throat. Smoothing his beard with his free hand, he said, Well, no, someone gave it a whirl a few months ago, but he bit off more than he could swallow whole, missed a couple of fingerings, then fell apart. He shook his head, simply said, No, not lately. He took another drink from his tankard, and swallowed thoughtfully before he spoke again. Most people find that a song of more moderate difficulty allows them to showcase their talent, he said carefully. I sensed his unspoken advice and was not offended. Sir Savian is the most difficult song I had ever heard. My father had been the only one in the troupe with the skill to perform it, and I had only heard him do it perhaps four or five times in front of an audience. It was only about fifteen minutes long, but those... Okay, holy shit. As someone who plays music, fifteen minutes is a long song, okay? I, I mean, it's... I mean, symphonies can last longer, but, like, for a single song, especially one with lyrics, fifteen minutes is a while. Even just to sing, it's a while. You have to be well-practiced in music to be able to play for that long and not make mistakes. Okay, well, I guess that's what he's here to do, though. He's here to be that talented. Okay, let's see. Uh, it was only about 15 minutes long, but those 15 minutes required quick, precise fingering that, if done properly, would set two voices singing out of the lute at once, both a melody and a harmony. That was tricky, but nothing any skilled lutist couldn't accomplish. However, Sir Savian was a ballad, and the vocal part was a counter-melody that ran against the timing of the lute. Difficult, if the song was being done properly with both a man and a woman alternating the verses. The song was further complicated by the female's counter-harmony in refrains. If it is done well, it is enough to cut a heart. Unfortunately, few musicians could perform calmly in the center of such a storm of song. Stanchion drank off another solid swallow from his tankard and wiped his beard on his sleeve. You singing alone? He asked, seeming a bit excited in spite of his half-spoken warning. Or have you brought someone to sing opposite you? Is one of the boys uh, you came in with a castrato? I fought down laughter at the thought of Willem as a soprano and shook my head. I don't have any friends that I can sing it, or that can sing it. I was going to double the third refrain to give someone a chance to come in as Halloween. Trooper style, eh? He gave me a serious look. Son, it's really not my place to say this, but do you really want to try for your, pri try for your pipes with someone you've never even practiced with? It reassured me that he realized how hard it was going to be. How many pipes will be here tonight, roughly? He thought briefly, roughly. Eight, maybe a dozen. So, in all likelihood, there will be at least three women who have earned their talents? Stanchion nodded, watching me curiously. Well, I said slowly, if what everyone has told me is true, if only real excellence can win the pipes, then one of those women will know Eloine's part. Stanchion took another long, slow drink, watching me over the top of his tankard. When he finally set it down, he forgot to wipe his beard. 
"'You're a proud one, aren't you?' he said frankly. I looked around the room. "'Isn't this the Aeolian? I had heard that this is where pride pays silver and plays golden.' "'I like that,' Stanchion said, almost to himself. "'Plays golden.' He slammed his tankard down onto the bar, causing a small geyser of something frothy to erupt from the top. "'Damn it, boy, I hope you're as good as you seem to think you are. I could use someone else around here with Ilian's fire.' He ran a hand through his own red hair to clarify his double meaning. "'I hope this place is as good as everyone seems to think it is,' I said earnestly. "'I need a place to burn.' <laughs> "'That's clever. Uh, yeah, burn brightly.' "'He didn't throw you out,' Simon quipped as I returned to the table, "'so I'm guessing it didn't go as badly as it could have.' "'I think it went well,' I said distractedly, but I'm not sure.' How can you not know, Simon objected. I saw him laugh. That must mean something good. Not necessarily, Willem said. I'm trying to remember everything I said to him, I admitted. Sometimes my mouth just starts talking and it takes my mind a little bit to catch up. This happens often, does it? Asked Willem with one of his rare quiet smiles. Their banter began to relax me. More and more often, I confessed, grinning. Yeah, gets you into fucking trouble, man. Anyway, sorry. Oh, man, by this, man. Okay, also, being a musician, I feel like I can offer more commentary on this chapter. Um, playing music in front of people when it matters is really nerve-wracking. Like, you get this... It's like your stomach is doing flips. Your your gut is just really tense and feels weird. It's because you know your fight or flight response and adrenaline is going, and you get just a little bit jittery. You have to calm yourself so that you can actually play correctly. Because you don't need to go fighting a bear. You need to play music and do it well. So. It's uh, nerve-wracking right up until the music starts, and then you just have to forget that the audience is there and play, or sing, or both, and do your best at it, too. Okay, let's see. We drank and joked about small things, rumors of the masters and the rare female students who caught our attention. A.K.A. Fela. Okay. <clears throat> we talked about who we liked in the university, but more time was spent mulling over who we didn't like and why, and what we would do about it given the chance. Such is human nature. So time passed, and the Aeolian slowly filled. Simmon gave in to Willem's taunting and began to drink Scutton, a powerful black wine from the foothills of the Shalda Mountains, more commonly called Cuttail. Simmon showed the effects almost immediately, laughing louder, grinning wider, and fidgeting in his seat. Willem remained his same taciturn self. I bought the next round of drinks, making it large mugs of straight cider for each of us. I responded to Willem's scowl by telling him that if I made my talents tonight, I would float him home in cut tail, but if either of them got drunk on me before then, I would personally thrash them and drop them in the river. 
they settled down an appreciable amount and began inventing obscene verses to Tinker Tanner. <laughs> uh, classic. I left them to it, retreating into my own thoughts. At the forefront of my mind was the fact that stanchions unspoken advice might be worth listening to. I tried to think of other songs I could perform that were difficult enough to show my skill, but easy enough to allow me room for artistry. Come on, you're good at rhymes here. Oh, sorry. Simmons' voice drew me back to the here and now. Come on, you're good at rhymes, he urged me. I replayed the last bit of their conversation that I'd been half listening to. Try in the Talon's cassock, I suggested disinterestedly. I was too nervous to bother explaining that one of my father's vices had been his propensity for dirty limericks. <laughs> uh, so it runs in his family. Uh, they chortled delightedly to themselves while I tried to come up with a different song to sing. I hadn't had much luck when Willem distracted me again. What? I demanded angrily, when I saw the flat look in Willem's eyes that he only gets when he sees something he really doesn't like. What? I repeated, more reasonably this time. Someone we all know and love, he said darkly, nodding in the direction of the door. I couldn't see anyone I recognized. The Aeolian was nearly full, and I, over a hundred people milled about on the ground floor alone. I saw through the open door that night had settled outside. His back is to us. He's working his oily charm on a lovely young lady who must not know him. To the right of the round gentleman in red, Willem directed my attention. Son of a bitch, I said, too stunned for proper profanity. I've always figured him for a porcine parentage myself, Willem said dryly. Simon looked around, blinking owlishly. What? Who's here? Ambrose. God's balls, Simon said, and hunched over the tabletop. That's all I need. Haven't you two made nice yet? I'm willing to leave him be, I protested, but every time he sees me, he can't help but make another jab in my direction. It takes two to argue, Simon said. Like hell, I retorted. I don't care whose son he is. I won't go belly up like some timid pup. If he's fool enough to poke at me, I'll snap the finger clean off that does the poking. I took a breath to calm myself and tried to sound rational. Eventually, he'll learn to leave me well enough alone. You could just ignore him, Simmons said, sounding surprisingly sober. You just don't rise to his baiting, and he'll tire of it soon enough. No, I said seriously, looking Simmons in the eye. No, he won't. I liked Simmons, but he was terribly innocent at times. Once he thinks I'm weak, he'll be on me twice as thick as the day before. I know his type. Here he comes, Willem observed, looking casually away. Ambrose saw me before he made it to our side of the room. Our eyes met, and it was obvious that he hadn't expected to see me there. He said something to one of his ever-present group of bootlickers, and they moved off through the crowd in a different direction to claim a table. His eyes moved from me to Willem to Simmon to my lute and back to me. Then he turned and walked to the table his friends had claimed. He looked in my direction before he took his seat. I found it unnerving that he didn't smile. He had always smiled at me before, an 
over-sad pantomime smile with mockery in his eyes. Then I saw something that unnerved me even more. He was carrying a sturdy, squared case. Ambrose plays liar, I demanded, of the world in general. Willem shrugged. Simon looked uncomfortable. I thought you knew, he said weakly. You've seen him here before? I asked. Sim nodded. Did he play? Recited, actually, poetry. He recited and kind of plucked at the lyre. Simmon looked like a rabbit about to run. Does he have his talent? I said darkly. I decided then that if Ambrose was a member of this group, I didn't want anything to do with it. No, Simmons squeaked. He tried for it, but he trailed off, looking a little wild around the eyes. Willem lay a hand on my arm and made a calming gesture. I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, and tried to relax. Slowly, I realized that none of this mattered. At most, it simply raised the stakes for tonight. Ambrose wouldn't be able to do anything to disrupt my playing. He would be forced to watch and listen, listen to me playing the lay of Sir Savian Tralliard, because now there was no question as to what I would be performing tonight. The evening's entertainment was led by one of the talented musicians from the crowd. He had a lute and showed he could play it as well as any Edemaru. His second song was even better, one that I'd never heard before. There was a gap of about ten minutes before another talented musician was called onto the stage to sing. This man had a set of reed pipes and played them better than anyone I had ever heard. He followed by singing a haunting eulogy in a minor key. No instrument, just his high, clear voice, that rose and flowed like the pipes he had played before. I was pleased to find the skill of the talented musicians to be everything it was rumored to be. But my anxiety increased a proportionate amount. Excellence is excellence's only companion. Had I not already decided to play the lay of Sir Savian Treliard, for purely spiteful reasons, these performances would have convinced me. There followed another period of five or ten minutes. I realized that Stanchion was deliberately spacing things out to give the audience a chance to move about and make noise between the songs. The man knew his business. I wondered if he had ever been a trooper. When we had our first trial of the night, oh, sorry, then we had our first trial of the night. A bearded man of thirty years or so was brought onto the stage by Stanchion and introduced to the audience. He played a flute, played it well. He played two shorter songs that I knew and a third I didn't. He played for perhaps twenty minutes in all, only making one small mistake that I could hear. After the applause, the flutist remained on stage while Stanchion circulated the crowd gathering opinions. A serving boy brought the flutist a glass of water. Eventually, Stanchion came back onto the stage. The room was quiet as the owner drew close and solemnly shook the man's hand. The musician's expression fell, but he managed a sickly smile and a nod to the audience. Stanchion escorted him off the stage and bought something that came in a tall tankard. The next to try her talent was a young woman, richly dressed, with golden hair. After Stanchion introduced her, she sang an aria in a voice so clear and pure that I forgot my anxiety for a while, and was ensnared by her song. 
For a few blessed moments I forgot myself and could do nothing but listen. Too soon it was over, leaving me with a tender feeling in my chest and a vague prickling in my eyes. Simmons sniffled a little and rubbed self-consciously at his face. Then she sang a second song while accompanying herself on a half-harp. I watched her intently, and I will admit that it was not entirely for her musical ability. She had hair like ripe wheat. I could see the clear blue of her eyes from where I sat some thirty feet away. She had smooth arms and small, delicate hands that were quick against the strings, and the way she held the harp between her legs made me think of, well, the things that every boy of fifteen thinks about incessantly. <laughs> Quoth you naughty person. Okay, let's see. <clears throat> her voice was as lovely as before, enough to set a heart aching. Unfortunately, her playing could not match it. She struck wrong notes halfway through her song, uh, through her second song, faltered, then recovered before she made it to the end of her performance. There was a longer pause. As Stanchion circulated this time, he milled through the three levels of the Aeolian, talking with everyone, young and old, musician and not. As I watched, Ambrose caught the eye of the woman on stage and gave her one of his smiles that seemed so greasy to me and so charming to women. Then, looking away from her, his gaze wandered to my table, and our eyes met. His smile faded, and for a long moment we simply watched each other, expressionless. Neither of us smiled mockingly or mouthed small, insulting nothings to the other. Nevertheless, all our smoldering enmity was renewed in those few minutes. I cannot say with certainty which of us looked away first. After nearly fifteen minutes of gathering opinions, Stanchion mounted the stage again. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. Let's see. Okay. He mounted the stage again. He approached the golden-haired woman and took her hand as he had the previous musicians. The woman's face fell in much the same way as his had. Stanchion led her from the stage and bought her what I guessed was the consolation tankard. Closely on the heels of this failure was another talented musician who played fiddle, excellent as the two before him. Then an older man was brought onto the stage by Stanchion as if he were trying for his talent. However, the applause that greeted him seemed to imply that he was as popular as any of the talented musicians who had played before him. I nudged Simon. Who's this? I asked, as the gray-bearded man tuned his lyre. Thrape. Simon whispered back at me. Count Thrape, actually. He plays here all the time, has for years. Great patron of the arts. He stopped trying for his pipes years ago. Now he's, now he just plays. Everyone loves him. Thrape began to play, and I could see immediately why he had never earned his pipes. His voice cracked and wavered as he plucked his lyre. His rhythm varied erratically, and it was hard to tell if he struck a wrong note. The song was obviously one of his own devising rather than candid revelation about Oh, sorry, a rather candid revelation about the personal habits of a local nobleman, but in spite of its lack of classic artistic merit, I found myself laughing along with the rest of the crowd. When he was done, everything, 
Everyone applauded thunderously, some people pounding on tables or stamping as well. Stanchion went directly onto the stage and shook the Count's hand, but Thrape didn't seem disappointed in the least. I'm saying Thrape, it's, it's T-H-R-E-P-E. -E. I might be saying this wrong. Let me double check. Ah, uh, it is... I, Threp. Count Threp. Okay. Why the hell is there... Mr. Rothfuss. God damn it. Why do you make these names so difficult to pronounce? I should either have two P's or no E at the end for it to be Threp. Clearly spelled Thrape or Threep. Thrape is what it looks like to me. Threp. Okay. Threp. But Threp didn't seem disappointed in the least. Stanchion pounded him enthusiastically on the back as he led him down to the bar. It was time. I stood and gathered up my loot. Willem clapped my arm and Simon grinned at me, trying not to look almost sick with friendly worry. <laughs> I, looked, I nodded silently to each of them as I walked over to Stanchion's vacant seat at the end of the bar where it curved toward the stage. I fingered the silver talent in my pocket, thick and heavy. Some irrational part of me wanted to clutch it, hoard it for later. Yeah, the irrational part of you that was born in Tarbine. Uh, let's see. But I knew that in a few more days a single talent wouldn't do me a bit of good. With a set of talent pipes, I could support myself playing at local inns. If I was lucky enough to attract the attention of a patron, I could earn enough to square my debt to Davy, and pay my tuition as well. It was a gamble I had to take. Stanchion came ambling back to his spot at the bar. I'll go next, sir, if it's all right with you. I hoped I didn't look as nervous as I felt. My grip on the loot case was slippery from my sweating palms. He smiled at me and nodded. You've got a good eye for a crowd, boy. This one's ripe for a sad song. Still planning on doing Savian? I nodded. He sat down and took a drink. Well then, let's just give them a couple minutes to simmer and get their talking over with. I nodded and leaned against the bar. I took the time to fret uselessly about things I had no control over. One of the pegs on my lute was loose and I didn't have the money to fix it. There had not been any talented women on stage yet. I felt a twinge of unease at the thought of this being the odd night where the only talented musicians of the Aeolian were men, or women who didn't know Aeolian's part. It seemed only a short time before Stanchion stood up and raised a questioning eyebrow at me. I nodded and picked up my loot case. It suddenly looked terribly shabby to me. Together we walked up the stairs. As soon as my foot touched the stage, the room hushed to a murmur. At the same time, my nervousness left me, burned away by the attention of the crowd. It has always been that way with me. Off stage, I worry and sweat. On stage, I am calm as a windless winter night. You know, and just as an aside here, that's how you know a good um, performer is uh, they worry about things right up until they're on stage. If you worry while you're on stage, you'll mess up. And anyone who's been on stage enough knows not to worry while you're on stage. It's all just clear focus once you're up there. Stanchion bade everyone 
consider me as a candidate for my talent. His words had a soothing ritual feel. When he gestured to me, there was no familiar applause, only an expectant silence. In a flash, I saw myself as the audience must see me, not finely dressed as the others had been, in fact only one step from being ragged, young, almost a child. I could feel their curiosity drawing them closer to me. I let it build, taking my time as I unclasped my battered second-hand loot case and removed my battered second-hand loot. I felt their attention sharpen at the homely sight of it. I struck a few quiet chords, then touched the pegs, tuning it ever so slightly. I fingered a few more light chords, testing, listened, and nodded to myself. The lights shining onto the stage made the rest of the room dim from where I sat. Looking out, I saw what seemed to be a thousand eyes. Well, it actually might be, depending on how many people are in the upper lofts. Uh, let's see. Simon and Willem, Stanchion by the bar, Theok by the door. I felt a vague flutter in my stomach as I saw Ambrose watching me with all the menace of the smoldering coal. I looked away from him to see a bearded man in red, Count Threp, an old couple hand holding hands. A lovely dark-eyed girl. My audience. I smiled at them. The smile drew them closer still, and I sang. Still, sit, for though you listen long, long would you wait without the hope of song so sweet as this, as Ilion himself sat down an age ago, master work of a master's life, of Savian and Halloween, the woman he would take to wife. I don't know, I just... I what, what tune am I supposed to do with this, right? Okay, I let the wave of whisper pass through the crowd. Those who knew the song made soft exclamation to themselves, while those who didn't asked their neighbors what the stir was about. I raised my hands to the strings and drew their attention back to me. The room stilled, and I began to play. The music came easily out of me, my lute like a second voice. I flicked my fingers, and the lute made a third voice as well. I sing in the proud, powerful tones of Savian. Sorry, in pr yeah. Wait. I sang in the proud, powerful tones of Savian Treliard, greatest of the Amir. The audience moved under the music like grass against the wind. I sang as Sir Savian, and I felt the audience begin to love and fear me. I was so used to practicing the song alone that I almost forgot to double the third refrain, but I remembered the last moment in a flash of cold sweat. This time, as I sang it, I looked out into the audience, hoping at the end I would hear a voice answering my own. I reached the end of the refrain before Eloine's first stanza. I struck the first chord hard and waited as the sound of it began to fade without drawing a voice from the audience. I looked calmly out to them, waiting. Every second a greater relief vied with the greater disappointment inside me. Then a voice drifted onto stage, gentle as a brushing feather, singing, Savian, how could you know it was... Savian, how could you know it was the time for you to come to me? Savian, do you remember... The days, okay, I'm not going to sing this. The days we squandered pleasantly. How well then have you carried what have tarried in my heart and memory? She sang as Eloine, I as Savian. 
On the refrains her voice spun, twinning and mixing with my own. Part of me wanted to search the audience for her to find the face of the woman I was singing with. I tried once, but my fingers faltered as I searched for the face that could fit with the cool moonlight voice that answered mine. Distracted, I touched the wrong note, and there was a burr in the music. A small mistake. I set my teeth and concentrated on my playing. I pushed my curiosity aside and bowed my head to watch my fingers, careful to keep them from slipping on the strings. And we sang, her voice like burning silver, my voice an echoing answer. Savian sang solid, powerful lines, like branches of a rock-old oak. All the while Halloween was like a nightingale, moving in darting circles around the proud limbs of it. I was only dimly aware of the audience now, dimly aware of the sweat on my body. I was so deeply in the music that I couldn't have told you where it stopped and my blood began. But it did stop. Two verses from the end of the song, the end came. I struck the beginning chord of Savian's verse, and I heard a piercing sound that pulled me out of the music like a fish dragged from deep water. A string broke. High on the neck of the lute it snapped, and the tension lashed it across the back of my hand, drawing a thin, bright line of blood. I stared at it numbly. It should not have broken. None of my strings were worn badly enough to break but it had. And as the last notes of the music faded into silence, I felt the audience began to stir, begin to stir. They began to rouse themselves from the waking dream that I had woven for them out of strands of song. In the silence, I felt it all unraveling. The audience waking with the dream of unfinished, oh, sorry, the audience waking with the dream unfinished, all my work ruined, wasted, and all the while burning inside me was the song, the song, the song. Without knowing what I did, I set my fingers back to the strings and fell deep into myself, into years before when my hands had calluses like stones and my music had come as easy as breathing, back to the time I had played to make the sound of wind turning a leaf on a lute with six strings. I began to play, slowly then with greater speed, as my hands remembered. I gathered the fraying strands of song and wove them carefully back to what they had been a moment earlier. It was not perfect. No song as complex as Sir Savian can be played perfectly on six strings instead of seven. But it was whole, and as I played, the audience sighed, stirred, and slowly fell back under the spell that I had made for them. I hardly knew they were there, after, and after a minute I forgot them entirely. My hands danced, then ran, then blurred across the strings as I fought to keep the lute's two voices singing with my own. Then, even as I watched them, I forgot them. I forgot everything except finishing the song. The refrain came, and Halloween sang again. To me, she was not a person or even a voice. She was just a part of the song that was burning out for me. That was burning out of me. And then it was done. Raising my head to look at the room, was like breaking the surface of the water for air. I came back into myself, found my hand bleeding and my body covered in sweat. Then the ending of the song struck me like a fist in my chest, as it always does, no matter where or when I listened to it. I buried my face in my hands and wept, not for a broken lute string and the chance of failure, not for bloodshed and a wounded hand, I did not even cry for the boy 
who had learned to play a lute with six strings in the forest years ago. I cried for Sir Savian and Halloween, for love lost and found and lost again at cruel fate and man's folly, and so, for a while, I was lost in grief and knew nothing. Chapter 55 Flame and Thunder I held all of my mourning for Savian and Halloween to a few moments, knowing I was still on display. I gathered myself and straightened in my chair to look out at my audience, my silent audience. Music sounds different to the one who plays it. It is the musician's curse. Even as I sat, the ending I had improvised was fading from my memory. Then came doubt. What if it hadn't been as whole as it had seemed? What if my ending hadn't carried the terrible tragedy of the song to anyone but myself? What if my tears seemed to be nothing more than a child's embarrassing reaction to his own failure? Then, waiting... I heard the silence pouring from them. The audience held themselves quiet, tense and tight, as if the song had burned them worse than flame. Each person held their wounded selves closely, clutching their pain as if it were a precious thing. Then there was a wisp sorry, then there was a murmur of sobs released and sobs escaping a sigh of tears, a whisper of bodies slowly becoming no longer still. Then the applause, a roar like leaping flame, like thunder after lightning. We might be going a little bit long today because I really want to go to the next chapter. Okay, 56. Patrons, Maids, and Metheglin. I restrung my lute. It was a fair distraction while Stanchion gathered opinions from the crowd. My hands went through the routine motions of stripping the broken string away while I fretted to myself. Now that the applause had died, my doubts had come to plague me again. Was one song enough to prove my skill? What if the audience's reaction had been due to the power of the song rather than of my playing of it? What of my improvised ending? Perhaps the song had only seemed whole to me. As I finished removing the broken string, I gave it an idle look, and my thoughts fell to a jumble at my feet. It wasn't ward, sorry, it wasn't worn or flawed, as I thought it would be. The broken end was clean, as if it had been cut with a knife or snipped with a pair of scissors. For a while, I stared at it dumbly. My loot had been tampered with? Impossible. It was never out of my sight. Besides, I had checked the strings before I left the university and again before I had come on stage. Then how? I was running the thought in circles in my head when I noticed the crowd quieting. I looked up in time to see Stanchion take the last step onto the stage. I hurriedly got to my feet to face him. His expression was pleasant, but otherwise unreadable. My stomach tied in an a knot as he walked toward me. Then it fell as he held out his hand the same way as he had held it out for the other two musicians who had been found wanting. I forced my best smile onto my face and reached to take his hand. I was my father's son and a trooper. I would take my refusal with the high dignity of the Edemaru. The earth would crack and swallow this glittering self-important place before I would show a trace of despair. 
and somewhere in the watching audience was Ambrose. The earth would have to swallow the Aeolian Imre and the whole Senthi Sea before I gave him a grain of satisfaction over this. I smiled brightly and took Stanchion's hand in my own. As I shook it, something hard pressed into my palm. Looking down, I saw a glimmer of silver. My talent pipes. My expression must have been a delight to watch. I looked back up at Stanchion. His eyes danced and he winked at me. I turned and held my pipes aloft for everyone to see. The Aeolian roared again. This time it roared a welcome. <laughs> oh, good job, kid. <sighs> okay. There is there is a profound emotion that comes with music for those who for those who play it, those who do well. You find a connection there to your soul. I remember once I was on so I, I was this was back in high school. I um we went to New York City and sang in a what was it called? The Heritage Festival competition thing? I don't remember. Anyway. Um we sang and there was one song we sang. I was, I was in um, I was in three different choirs at the time, but the uh, the top group my school had was the Madrigals, and we sang a song called "If Love Should Count You Worthy." Um, it it has a French horn part, but but we didn't have anyone to play it, and honestly, I like the song better without the horn. We sang that song, and it was so powerful that the judges forgot to take notes. And these are people who critique choirs. Okay, the, their whole like the the whole point of them being there was to take notes on our performance and tell us where we could improve, and like point out things we did well and things that we did not do well. We did so well on this song that they just forgot entirely to take notes. There was, like, for, for all three judges, um, there was, like, a note at the beginning, and then they just, like, didn't take any notes until the very end of the song, and they just were, like, it, it was good. <laughs> I think the note at the like beginning for one of them was, like, it was a little bit... Uh, quiet it could be a little little bit louder but but honestly see here's the thing about that it was all for dynamic contrast uh, see you want your quiets to be very quiet and your louds to be very loud so that there's uh, a great deal of difference and emotion when you go from soft to loud and um, that's why so many um, classical songs have that incredible dynamic contrast where things, some things will be incredibly quiet, and then some things will be incredibly loud. Um, it, it makes it difficult to listen in, on, like, headphones or, uh, well, sometimes. Um, but in, in, like, a noisy place, you're going to miss out on, like, a quarter or half of the song. Um, it makes a huge difference hearing it live in a concert hall where the acoustics are just beautiful. Um, anyway, so we, we were in this 
think it was a cathedral, actually. Anyway, the acoustics were amazing. And so we all stood, um, holding, we were all holding hands, all, I think, 26 of us, um, holding hands in a semicircle and singing this song about if love should count you worthy to basically come to you and and visit your soul, essentially, um, that, like, you should be cautious because with it, it brings a lot of pain, but it also brings a lot of beauty and things that you could never experience otherwise. And so to be careful before accepting love in um, at your door, but also cautions you that you will be very poor if you don't. Uh, that there's a sort of richness that comes um, by welcoming love to your life and into your heart. And that there's a pain, but a, a beauty as well. And so we sang that song, and the judges just straight up couldn't give us any notes. And, and I think at the end, they were all just like, that was that was really good. I have nothing more to say about this. And then they moved on to taking notes about our third song, because that was our second. So it was really interesting to look at the difference in the notes, because it was like, song one, you know, handful to maybe a dozen different notes about the song throughout. Um, song two, a, a little note about the beginning maybe being just a little bit weak sounding, but then, then like, at the end, that was really good. And then, like, just nothing else about that song, and then a few notes on the third song. It was great. All of them, like, cried. And... It's impressive when you can make music critics cry. And we all cried, too, while we were singing. It, you know, it, takes, it takes a lot of skill to... And a lot of effort. That's the real thing. It takes a lot of effort not to let the crying that you're doing while you're singing affect your voice. Because otherwise you'll miss notes and that wouldn't be any good. But yeah, we all stood there at the end of the song just like quietly crying as we got into formation for the uh, third song and then like composed ourselves again. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Music is a beautiful thing. I think everyone should learn to play an instrument. Poorly, maybe, but learn to play a little. It's all right if you're not a master, but learn to appreciate the craft and uh, the emotion of it. Okay, let's see. <clears throat> Back to the book. Uh, You'll have to promise me, a red-eyed Simon said seriously, that you will never play a song again without warning me first. Oh, sorry. Never play that song again without warning me first. Ever. Was it that bad? I smiled giddily at him. No, Simon almost cried out. It's... I've never... He struggled wordlessly for a moment, then bowed his head and began to cry hopelessly into his hands. Willem put a protective arm around Simon, who leaned unashamedly against his shoulder. Our Simon has a tender heart, he said gently. I imagine he meant to say that he liked it very much. I noticed that Willem's eyes were red around the edges, too. I lay a hand on Simmons' back. It hit me hard the first time I heard it, too. 
I told him honestly. My parents performed it during the midwinter pageantry when I was nine, and I was a wreck for two hours afterward. They had to cut my part from the swineherd and the nightingale because I wasn't in any shape to act. Simmon nodded and made a gesture that seemed to imply that he was fine, but that he didn't expect to be able to talk any time soon, and that I should just carry along with whatever it was I was doing. I looked back at Willem. I forgot that it hits some people this way, I said lamely. I recommend Scutton, Willem said bluntly. Cut tail, if you insist on the vulgar. But I seem to remember you saying that you would float us home tonight if you got your pipes, which may be unfortunate, as I happen to be wearing my lead drinking shoes. <laughs> oh, so it's going to take a lot of... Uh a lot of ale or liquor or whatever. I heard Stanchion chuckle behind me. These must be the two non-castrati friends, eh? Simon was surprised enough at being called a non-castrati to collect himself slightly, rubbing his nose on his sleeve. Willem, Simon, this is Stanchion. Simon nodded. Willem gave a slight, stiff bow. Stanchion, could you help us to the bar? I've promised to buy them a drink. S Willem said, drinks. Sorry, drinks, I stressed the plural. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Ah, Stanchion said with a grin. Patrons, I understand completely. The victory tankard turned out to be the same as the consolation one. It was ready for me when Stanchion finally managed to get us through the throng of people to our new seats at the bar. He even insisted on buying Scutton for Simon and Willem, saying the patrons have some claim to the spoils of victory as well. I thanked him earnestly from the bottom of my rapidly thinning purse. While we were waiting for their drinks to come, I tried to peer curiously into my tankard and found that doing so while sitting on the bar would require me to stand on my stool. Methiglin, Stanchion informed me. Try it, and you can thank me later. Where I'm from, they say a man will come back from the dead to get a drink of it. I tipped an imaginary hat to him. At your service. Yours and your families. I took a drink from the tall tankard to give myself a chance to collect my wits, and something wonderful happened in my mouth. Cool spring honey. Clove, cardamom, cinnamon, pressed grape, burnt apple, sweet pear, and clear well water. That is all I have to say of methaglin. If you haven't tried it, then I am sorry I cannot describe it properly. If you have, you don't need me to remind you what it is like. I was relieved to see the cut tail had some had come in moderately sized glasses, with one for stanchion, too. If my friends had received tankards of the black wine, I would have needed a wheelbarrow to get them back to the other side of the river. To Savian, Willem toasted. Here, here, stanchion said, lifting his own glass. Savian... Simon managed, his voice sounding like a stifled sob. And Eloine. Oh, sorry, no. No, I... Savian. Simon managed, his voice sounding like a stifled sob. And Eloine, I said, and maneuvered my great tankard to touch glasses with them. Stanchion drank off his scutton and with a nonchalance that made my eyes water. So, he said, before I leave you to the adulation of your peers, I have to ask, where did you learn to do that? Play missing a string, I mean. I thought for a moment. Do you want the short or the long of it? I'll take the short for now, I smiled. 
Well, in that case, it's just something I picked up. I made a casual gesture as if tossing something away. A remnant of my misspent youth. Stanchion gave me a long look, his expression amused. I suppose I deserve that. I'll take the long version next time. He took a deep breath and looked around the room. His golden earring swung and caught the light. I'm off to mix the crowd. I'll keep them from coming at you all at once. I grinned relief. Thank you, sir. He shook his head and made a preemptory motion to someone behind the bar, who quickly fetched him his tankard. Earlier tonight, sir was proper and good, but now it's stanchion. He glanced back in my direction, and I smiled and nodded. And what shall I, and what should I call you? Quoth, I said. Just quoth. Just quoth, Willem toasted behind me, and Halloween, Simon added, and began to cry softly into the crook of his arm. Must be some song, damn. Uh, Count Threp was one of the first to come to me. He looked shorter up close and older, but he was bright-eyed and laughing as he talked about my song. Then it broke, he, gest he said, gesturing wildly, and all I could think was, not now, not before the ending, but I saw the blood on your hand and my stomach knotted up. You looked up at us, then down at the strings, and it got quieter and quieter. Then you put your hands back on the lute, and all I could think was, there's a brave boy, too brave. He doesn't know he can't send, save the end of a broken song with a broken lute. But you did! He laughed as if I'd played a joke on the world, and danced a quick jig step. Simon, who had stopped crying, and was on his way to becoming well-buttered, laughed along with the Count. Willem didn't seem to know what to make of the man, and watched him with serious eyes. You must play at my house some day, Threp said, then quickly held up a hand. "'We won't talk of that now, and I won't take up any more of your evening,' he smiled. "'But before I go, I need to ask you one last question. "'How many years did Savian spend with the Amir?' "'I didn't have to think about it. Six, three years proving himself, three years training. "'Does six strike you as a good number?' "'I didn't know what he was getting at.' Six isn't exactly a lucky number, I hedged. If I were looking for a good number, I'd have to go up to seven, I shrugged, or down to three. Threp considered this, tapping his chin. You're right, but six years with the Amir means he came back to Halloween on the seventh year. He dug into a pocket and brought out a handful of coins of at least three different currencies. He sorted seven talents out of the mess and pushed them into my surprised hand. "'My lord,' I stammered, "'I cannot take your money.' "'It wasn't the money itself that surprised me, but the amount.' "'Threp looked confused. "'Why ever not?' "'I gaped a little bit, and for a rare moment I was at a loss for words.' "'Threp chuckled and closed my hand around the coins. "'It's not a reward for playing. "'Well, it is that, but it's more an incentive for you to keep practicing, keep getting better. "'It's for the sake of the music.' He shrugged. You see, a laurel needs rain to grow. I can't do much about that. But I can keep that rain off a few musicians' heads, can't I? A sly smile wound its way onto his face. So God will tend the laurels and keep them wet, and I will tend the players and keep them dry, and wiser minds than mine will decide when to bring the two together. I was silent for a moment. I think you might be wiser than you give yourself credit for. "'Well,' he said, trying not to look pleased, "'well, don't let it get around, or people will start expecting great things from me. 
He turned and was quickly swallowed by the crowd. I slid the seven talents into my pocket and felt a great weight lift from my shoulders. It was like a stay of execution. Perhaps literally, as I had no idea how Devi might have encouraged me to pay my debt, I drew my first carefree breath in two months. It felt good. After Threp left, one of the talented musicians came to offer his compliments. After him, it was a sealedish moneylender who shook my hand and offered to buy me a drink. Then there was a nobleman, another musician, and a pretty young lady that I thought might be my Halloween until I heard her voice. She was the daughter of a local moneylender, and we talked of small things briefly before she moved on. I remembered my manners almost too late and kissed her hand before she left. They all blurred together after a while. One by one they came to give me their regards, compliments, handshakes, advice, envy, and admiration. Though Stanchion was true to his word and managed to keep them all from coming me in a mass, it wasn't long before I began having trouble telling one from another. The Methaglin wasn't helping matters either. I'm not sure how long it was before I thought to look for Ambrose. After scanning the room, I nudged Simmon with an elbow until he looked up from the game he and Willem were playing with shims. "'Where's our best friend?' I asked. Simmon gave me a blank look, and I realized he was too far into his cups to catch sarcasm. "'Ambrose,' I clarified. "'Where's Ambrose?' "'Scoffered off,' Willem announced at the edge of the bellicostery. "'Oh, within—sorry, no, I—wow, that's not even the word—' It's close, but okay. Let me start over. Scoffered off, Willem announced with an edge, with an edge of bellicosity. As soon as you finished playing, before you'd even gotten your pipes, he knew. He knew. Simmons sing-songed delightedly. He knew you would get them and couldn't bear to watch. Looked bad when he left. Willem said with a quiet malice, pale and shaking, like he'd found out someone had been lanting in his drinks all night. Maybe someone was, Simmons said with uncharacteristic viciousness. I would. Shaking? I asked. Willem nodded, trembling, like someone gut like someone had gut punched him. Linton was giving him an arm to lean on when he left. The symptoms sounded familiar, like binders chills. A suspicion began to form. I pictured Ambrose listening to me glide through the most beautiful song he'd ever heard and realizing I'm about to win my pipes. He wouldn't do anything obvious, but perhaps he could find a loose thread or a long splinter from the table. Either one would provide only the most tenuous sympathetic link to my lute string, one percent at best, perhaps only a tenth of that. I imagined Ambrose drawing on his own body's heat, concentrating as the chill slowly worked into his arms and legs. I pictured him trembling and breath growing labored until finally the string breaks, and I finish the song in spite of him, and I grinned at the thought, pure speculation, of course, but something had certainly broken my lute string, and I didn't doubt for a second that Ambrose would try something of the sort. I focused back in on Simmon it up to him and say no hard feelings about the time in the crucible when you mixed my salts and i was nearly blind for a day no no really drink up ha simon laughed lost in his own vengeful fantasy 
the flood of well-wishers slowed somewhat a fellow lutist the talented piper i'd seen on stage a local merchant a heavily perfumed gentleman with long oiled hair and a vintic accent clapped me on the back and gave me a purse of money for new strings i didn't like him i kept the purse <laughs> smart lad <laughs> you'd better keep that damn purse okay why does everyone keep going on about that willem asked me about what Half the people that come over to shake your hand bubble about, bubble over how beautiful the song was. The other half hardly mention the song at all, and they talk about how, and all they talk about is how you played with a broken string. It's like they didn't hardly hear the song at all. The first half don't know anything about music, Simmons said. Only people who take their music seriously can really appreciate what our little Elir here did tonight. Willem grunted thoughtfully. It's hard, then, what you did? I've never seen anyone play Squirrel in the Thatch without a full set of strings, Simmon told him. Well, he said, you made it look easy. Since you have come to your sense in pushing aside that illish fruit drink, will you let me buy you a round of fine dark scutton, drink of the kings of, of Sealdim? I know a compliment when I hear it, but I was reluctant to accept, as I was just beginning to feel clear-headed again. Luckily, I was saved from having to make an excuse by Maria, coming to pay her respects. She was the lovely golden-haired harper who had tried for her talent and failed. I thought for a moment she might be the voice of my Halloween, but after a moment's listening to her, I realized it couldn't, uh, it couldn't be. She was pretty, though, even prettier than she had seemed on stage, as is not always the case. Talking, I found she was the daughter of one of Imre's councilmen. Against the tumble of her deep golden hair, the soft blue of her gown was a reflection of the deep blue of her eyes. Lovely as she was, I couldn't give her the concentration she deserved. I itched to be away from the bar and uh, to find the voice that had sung Halloween with me. We talked a while, smiled, and parted with kind words and promises to speak again. She disappeared back into the crowd, a wonderful collection of gently moving curves. What was that shameful display? Willem demanded after she had gone. What? I asked. What? He mocked my tone. Can you even pretend to be that thick? If a girl as fair as that looked at me with one eye the way she looked at you with two, we'd have a room by now to say it carefully. She was friendly, I protested, and we were talking. She asked me if I would show her some harp fingerings, but it's been a long time since I played harp. It'll be a lot longer if you keep missing passes like that, Willem said frankly. She was doing everything but taking down another button for you. Sim leaned over and lay his hand on my shoulder, the very picture of the concerned friend. Quoth, I've been meaning to talk to you about this very problem. If you honestly couldn't tell that she was interested in you, you might want to admit the possibility that you are impossibly thick when it comes to women. You may want to consider the priesthood. The both of you are drunk, I said to cover my flesh. Did you happen to notice from our conversation that she is a councilman's daughter? Did you notice... Will replied in the same tone, how she looked at you. I knew I was woefully inexperienced with women, but I didn't have to admit it. 
so I waved his comment away and got down off my stool. Somehow I doubt that a quick romp behind the bar is what she had in mind. I took a drink of water and straightened my cloak. Now I must go find my Halloween and offer her my earnest thanks. How do I look? What does it matter? Willem asked. Simon touched Willem's elbow. Don't you see? He's after more dangerous game than some low-bodiced councilman's daughter. I turned from them with a disgusted gesture and headed off into the crowded room. Okay, but no, seriously. Women, if you are listening, men are actually this dense. Okay, we, we are actually this dense. You, you think that you're being obvious with things. And to someone who knows the game, you probably are being obvious. But, but to someone who is inexperienced particularly someone who is young and inexperienced, it is going to fly right over their head unless you spell it out for them. Yes, all of us adults know that by showing her some harp fingerings, what she actually meant was take my clothes off and uh, fiddle with me. <laughs> Play me like you played that lute, is what she was asking, but... <sighs> anyway. I, I, I have to keep mentioning this. I know I I already have many times, but this... You know what? Uh, never mind. I don't need to... After that, you should just know. You should know by now. You should know that this is an explicit podcast. She was so down to fuck. Poor little 15-year-old both has no fucking idea. Okay, let's see. I turned from them with a disgusted gesture and headed off into the crowded room. I didn't really have any idea how I would find her. Some foolish, romantic part of me thought I would know her when I saw her. If she were half as radiant as her voice, she would shine like a candle in a dark room. But as I thought these things, the wiser part of me was whispering in my other ear, Do not hope, it said, do not dare hold hope that any woman could burn as brightly as the voice that sang the part of Halloween. And while this voice was not comforting, I knew it to be wise. I had learned to listen to it on the streets of Tarbine, where it had kept me alive. I wandered through the first level of the Aeolian, searching without knowing who I was looking for. Occasionally, people would smile or wave. After five minutes, I had seen all the faces there were to see and moved to the second level. This was actually a converted balcony, but instead of tiers of seats, there were rising ranks of tables that looked onto the lower level. As I wended my way through the tables, looking for my Halloween, my wiser half kept murmuring in my ear, Do not hope. All you will earn is disappointment. She will not be as beautiful as you imagine, and then you will despair. As I finished searching the second level, a new fear began to rise in me. She might have left while I was sitting at the bar, drinking in methaglin and praise. I should have gone to her straight away, fallen to one knee, and thanked her with my whole heart. What if she was gone? What if no one knew who she was or where she had gone? nervousness settled into the pit of my stomach as I took the stairs to the highest level of the Aeolian. Now look what your hope has gotten you, the voice said. She is gone, and all you have is a bright foolish imagining to torment yourself with. The last level was the smallest of the three, hardly more than a thin crescent that hugged three walls high above the stage. 
Here, the tables and benches were more widely spaced and sparsely populated. I noticed that the inhabitants of this level were mostly couples, and I felt something of a voyeur as I passed from table to table. Trying to appear casual, I looked at the faces of those who sat talking and drinking. I grew more nervous the closer I came to the last table. It was impossible for me to do so casually, as it was in a corner. The couple sitting there, one light-haired and one dark, had their backs to me. As I approached, the light-haired one laughed, and I caught a glimpse of a proud, fine-featured face. A man. I turned my attention to the woman with the long, dark hair. My last hope, I knew she would be my Halloween. Coming round the corner of the table, I saw her face, or rather, his face. They were both men. My Halloween had left. I had lost her, and with that knowledge I felt as if my heart had been tipped from its resting place in my chest, to topple and fall somewhere deep inside me near my feet. They looked up, and the fair-haired one smiled at me. Look, Thria, young Sixstring has come to offer us his respects. He eyed me up and down. You're a fair one. Would you like to join us for a drink? No, I murmured, embarrassed. I was just looking for someone. Well, you found someone, he said easily, touching my arm. My name is Fallon, and this is Thria. Come and have a drink. I promise to keep Thria here from trying to take you home. He has a terrible weakness for musicians. He smiled charmingly at me. I murmured an excuse and took my leave, too distraught to worry whether or not I had made an ass of myself. As I made my desolate way back to the stairs, my wise self took the opportunity to berate me. This is what comes of hope, it said. No good. Still, you are better have missed her. She could never have been an equal to her voice, that fair and terrible... Uh, that voice fair and terrible as burning silver, like moonlight on river stones, like a feather against your lips. I headed to the stairs, eyes on the floor, lest anyone try to catch me in a conversation. Then I heard a voice, a voice burning like silver, a kiss against my ears. Looking up, my heart lifted, and I knew it was my Halloween. Looking up, I saw her, and all I could think was beautiful. Beautiful. And we're over time, so that is where we will end. Thanks for listening, everyone, and come back tomorrow for more books of bedtime. And if you would like to start listening to my um, second series on Patreon, reading The Lightning Thief by Rick Riordan, feel free to join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash books at bedtime.